So that is one of the things that we looked at. Um, if I'm renting an economy car and it's happened in, in, in July, um, you know, you're renting your economy for 200 a day. It only takes six days of that rental to get to your 1200, right? Well, six days out of 30 is 25% utilization, but you made your revenue per unit. So by, by being able to increase your daily dollar average, it brings down the need for utilization. You are listening to Revenue Machine, the podcast dedicated to revenue management in car rental. We have created it to enhance your January zone. I'm Emmanuel Scuto, the founder and CEO of WeYield and a Revenue Machinist. My ambition is to give knowledge and share experience to get inspiration. To do what? To reach a new level of performance, but also to have a better clarity and more freedom in the way you do your job every day. So welcome on the on the Wheel the Revenue Machine podcast. Today or tonight, let's say, uh, but we have a lot of time difference. We have the pleasure to uh, to welcome uh, Jared Janet Kinard from um, Tom Automotive uh, Group in US. You are based in uh, Indianapolis, am I right? Yeah, that's correct. Based, based in Indianapolis. Uh, Indianapolis. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Indianapolis. And um, so um, so we have a lot of time difference because I'm based in France. And um, so, I, I, in fact, I wanted to invite you, uh, Jared, because we have... Uh, we have been in, uh, in. We met effectively last year. It was like in spring 22, if I'm not mistaken, yep. as we were preparing our first. It was for me the first speech on the ICRS International Car Rental Show, mm-hmm. and um, I really liked the, the the spirit and the 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 the, the, the experience and the, the the of of you because you have a long experience of car rental. And also this American background, so I think it would be good. I've I've listened to a lot of uh, elements. You we, I, I mean, you you told me, and I said, oh, that mm. would be good for my for the podcast. Uh, this podcast is really to share best practice and large the the knowledge of all this current tool industry that used to be a bit working in a silo mode, you know, sometime. So we'll mm. really to ask you. So we were on stage. Mm. Um, to talk about instilling a company-wide approach to revenue management. We were there with Michael Mayer from Right Highway at that time. It was it was really good. Really enjoy it. Yeah. Um, and um, so, as I said, you have a lot of experience in car rental operation, but also mixing it now with revenue management. Mm-hmm. And um, I would like to discuss also your perspective and your point of view about the, the, the yield management optimization now with new context after COVID, lack of supply, cost of supply, <laughs> maybe yeah. behavior change, uh, customer behavior change, um, the development maybe in US of your peer-to-peer with Turo. And also um, discuss with you about how do you see a good or what is your experience in, in installing a good revenue management for a long-term success uh, regarding organizations, skills, processes. Uh, this is the various topics I would like to, to discuss with you today. So before we start, can you can you introduce yourself, Jared? Yeah. So my name is Jared Kennard. Um, I'm currently the revenue and operations manager for Tomwood Automotive Group. 
Uh, we have uh, a franchise rental car company that we work through, as well as a dealership replacement rental. We currently operate at two top 50 airports in the United States, uh, including a downtown location in Indianapolis. Have about 800 units um, in our fleet. <clears throat> so we have a, a decent size fleet. Uh, we The two airports keep us busy. And uh, the dealership replacement business is uh, is just as busy as it's been. So, <laughs> okay. Um, there was something on your desk apparently that is eating the, the the desk. I don't know if it's a pen or something. If you can just make sure, because it yeah. gives a, a back noise. Pretty strange. Okay. And mm -hmm. and um, how long have you been working in the in the car rental industry, Jared? Yeah. So I've been in rental car um, for 15 years now. Um, wow. Yeah, started back in uh, 2008, <laughs> which which wasn't the best of times, uh, obviously with uh, the U.S. market crash and the housing crisis. But um, you know, going through that experience and the layoffs uh, there, I, I think helped um, prepare me for what COVID brought. Obviously, COVID was a, a complete shutdown um, of pretty much everything, but. Uh, we were able to use some of the things that we learned uh, back in 2008 and 2009 uh, to really help with how we managed um, the the COVID crisis and the pandemic in, in 2020. Oh, that's super interesting. And and what were what were the learning the learnings you got at that time that unfortunately yeah. <laughs> you yeah, were able yeah. to capitalize on for the COVID, which was a total unexpected uh, event with so tight so so strong as you said. What yeah. were the, the main things that you have learned, implemented, and then reuse? Yeah, so back in 2008, when, when the, housing, the housing crisis occurred, um, the company I worked for laid off a significant portion of their employees. Uh, they started with uh, voluntary layoffs and then moved to forced, forced layoffs. Um, and during COVID, Uh, instead of what we learned, at least for me, what I learned and what we did with our team is instead of laying off the staff, um, what we did is we maximized the, uh, the pandemic money that was coming in with the stimulus and the um, additional unemployment benefits, and we reduced our staff's hours to allow for them to be around when everything came back to normal. Uh, obviously, it took longer than usual or longer than expected to come back to normal, but we were able to to save a significant portion of our staffing uh, for for when it did come back. Um, another thing we did was um, employed a third party uh, company, which would which reduced our staff um, level with our company. And when COVID occurred, we, we had our own staff that could take over and we were able to, um, to reduce our expenses very quickly um, without having to lay off our own team by being able to um, uh, cut ties with a third party company who was prepping our vehicles. So that flexibility um, really allowed us to, I think, handle the, uh, the COVID crisis much better than um, than it was handled in, in 2008. And because when you laid off at that time, you lost, in fact, a lot of expertise and then it was difficult to, to rebuild it or to train new staff. Eventually, they didn't want to come back. 
those experienced guys and then you have to hire new guys and it took longer to yeah to, so to onboard them. You, yeah it was it was tough to replace uh those people so uh, once they're laid off there was no plan to bring them back so once the crisis ended we're now hiring people uh, with little to no expertise in rental card little to no experience and having to retrain them all over again uh, when I believe there could have been a more efficient way to um, to handle that staffing shortage or crisis, which is what we implemented in, in 2020, um, which allowed us to come out on the other side with a good team, um, a team who understood what we what we went through, actually had an appreciation for the job. Uh, when they got their full time hours back, and we didn't have to reduce any longer, they were they were more grateful to the fact that they had a job coming out of the crisis um, than with the, un, you know, the, um, the knowledge of not knowing what's coming, you know, the unknown. That's, that's pretty unique, I would say, because uh, even though I don't have a, a, a broad vision of all what happened, what I felt, what I read in the papers is that most of the people, they didn't want to go back especially in operation with shifts, mm -hmm. etc. And uh, I think for the big brand, it was super tough, uh, super tough to, to get them back. Eventually they don't. So mm -hmm. how, what, what were the key elements of these guys, even after COVID to say, no, I'm, I'm happy to go back to Tom, Tom Automotive and uh, go back to work, in fact. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, the key was they never left. <clears throat> so... Um, what we did is everybody went from working five days a week to four days a week. And by reducing them to four days a week, the number okay. of employees that we had um, was equivalent to eliminating three full-time employees uh, for, our, for our staff at that time. Um, whereas some of the big companies, they just let those people go, right? They, they furloughed them and then said, we'll call you when we can, when we can bring you back. Some never got brought back, some did, um, but we never gave our team the opportunity to go search for a job somewhere else. We kept them employed, kept them busy. Um, and uh, and then when, when we were able to justify having them back to five days a week, we did so, we moved them back. Um, and I think it really mattered as well because the management team um, here at Tom Wood we all took a 15% pay cut to allow us from keeping to, uh, to allow us from having to lay people off. So there was, there was give everywhere. It wasn't just being asked of our, of our uh, frontline employees. There was give everywhere um, to sacrifice because we all wanted a job coming out of the crisis. We all wanted to, to have a place to go when it was all over. And, um, now, based on this 2008 experience and to 2020 plus 2021 as well, those lockdowns, mm -hmm. as unfortunately we expect other crises, eventually san sanitary uh, crises uh, like, the, like we had because of um, climate change and stuff like that, sure. what would you change in the future? Did, did you... 
capitalize again on something that you experienced in 2020, 2021, in order to say, okay, yes, if we need to slightly adjust and continue to improve, eventually mm-hmm. we will do this in the future. Um, yeah, I think that uh, when it comes to the operation, um, I believe we sold too many vehicles um, too early. Obviously, hindsight is uh, 2020. So you you can look back on on your decisions at the time. We understood why we did it. We were able to defleet quickly and, and reduce the expense. Um, but by July, you needed you needed more cars, and there weren't any. So, Anyways. you know, coming out of this crisis, I think that we may have uh, it, it, we may defleet a little differently. Um, we may uh, reduce our our um, depreciation. Uh, for a couple of months to, you know, see how it's how it's reacting, how the market's reacting. Obviously, after everybody dumped their cars, come July, August, September of 2020, you saw used car prices go up, um, and they've continued to go up. Now they've leveled off, but they're not they're not coming down as as quickly as they went up. So um, I think that, you know, hindsight, we wouldn't have defleeted so quickly, but. That's probably the only thing I would change from 20, uh, 2020 and 2021 if we were to endure a crisis again. Hold on to the fleet a little longer, get creative with our depreciation cost uh, so we don't have to uh, get into a situation where we, we don't have the inventory. Anyway, super interesting. Thanks for this because uh, you have this like, unfortunate experience. It's not yeah. so often to have the guys who have unfortunately experienced two, uh, two situations like this. And that's um, that's super interesting. So it means that on this possibility, are you mostly at Tom Wood Automotive mostly on the buyback model, or are you on a on a at risk model? So you buy your own cars and you ship sure. it. So when COVID when COVID occurred, uh, the our we went completely away from buyback. It was one hundred percent risk, and I believe that was a part. I think the manufacturers enforced that. I, I don't know exactly uh, if that's the case, but I know that we opted to go a hundred percent risk uh, because the vehicles were worth more <laughs> they when we bought them they were immediately worth more on the on the used market than than what they were when we bought them new so we decided to take on that risk a hundred percent and it and it paid off okay and do you now with the the, the fleet that is a little bit, not not really back to normal, even because the costs are super high, and I don't know. I mostly know better the European market, but I know yeah. that for US as well, it's extremely expensive. The the interest rate have increased, the financial financial side have increased, yeah. the supply side have increased. Um, how do you see the the, the future? Do you, do you see that the used car market will go down again because it's usually some cycle kind of mm-hmm. curve, or do you see continuously uh, maintaining? maintain up the or high the cost of on, on this used car market um i i believe um i believe that the used car prices will stay higher um for probably another year or so if i had to guess um just because there there still isn't enough new fleet to uh cover the, the you know the last three years worth of demand um that went all to used cars so um, I think you're going to see, you know, as new cars are becoming more available, people are going to get out of um, those used cars that that really aren't the greatest, 
and try to get into new cars. Um, but I think you're also going to find that the, the cost of a, of a new car is going up. Um, you know, there's, there, there are more people with, uh, with thousand dollar car payments than there, I think there ever have been here in the U S. Um, I, I read a statistic that's 25% of new cars sold or are $60,000 or higher. So a significant portion of these new cars getting sold are, are very expensive. So it's going to drive up the used price on, you know, cars that used to be $8,000, probably now going to be the twelve dollars to $15,000 car. So um, I, I believe that used car prices will continue to stay high at least for another year or so. Anyway. Anyway. So does it mean that, um, and I don't want to enter into confidential, but just as a market orientation, do you think that you are going to continue on this at-risk model? Are you going back to a kind of half-half or eventually sure. totally on the buyback? Um, well, we'll never totally go 100% uh, buyback because uh, we do like the ability to um, to sell and, and make a profit on cars that you know we, we may be able to get a better deal on at any time. Um, we have we we have gone back to the buyback, especially with certain manufacturers, uh, GM and Hyundai. Um, they've really gave, given us some vehicles that we were able to go back onto the buyback program for, at least for GM buyback. We got some good prices on Hyundai's, but um, so we have dabbled, and then we've also done some buyback programs with our in-house dealerships. So the vehicles that uh, that we utilize for our luxury dealerships, our Audis, our our uh, Jaguar, Land Rover, Volvo dealerships. We we went to that specific dealership. We put together a buyback program with them um, so we can still utilize those cars, get them at a fair price, and reduce our risk uh, on the cost of the, of the vehicle. So um, not necessarily buyback with OEMs, but buyback with our internal dealers has been has been um, a great uh, a great alternative. And you think that gives you a competitive advantage as well compared to the the guys around you? I believe so. I believe so. Um, because we are turning over these internal buyback cars six months to a year, right? So um, they're not being utilized like you would, uh, you know, your, your meat and potato car, your economy to full-size car. They're luxury vehicles that uh, are generating uh, good revenue with our dealership replacement stuff. We rent them retail when necessary, um, but the reduced cost allows us to focus um, our, our expensive vehicles, those high-end cars, at these dealerships that, that are going to utilize them. And we turn them over, uh, we turn them over less than 10,000 miles a lot of the times. So these cars are low mileage units that go back to the dealership. They get certified pre-owned and, and sold and, and they provide us with new uh, new fleet. So I believe that it is a competitive advantage to have uh, an internal an internal dealership group that that will work out that type of program with us. The you you touched something that I really wanted to focus on because that's that that was really um, um, that really hit my my brain when we discussed about it uh, last year. Mm -hmm. uh, I remember you said that. As revenue, because you are mixing both operations and revenue, so which yeah. is pretty unique, huh? So yeah, how do you 
the way I've understood it, and you will tell me if I understood correctly, was that for you, optimizing the revenue is not only a question of price, and you integrate into the equation the mileage. Mm -hmm. And if I remember correctly, you prefer a rental that is shorter not to hit in order not to increase the mileage so to keep it low because yeah. you know that at the end on the on the on the on the on the at the end of the of the of the holding period you will have more opportunities to to generate more profit am i right did i understand correctly can you can you explain a little bit more this process if i'm if i'm right or or explain what you do exactly yeah so what you're what you're speaking about is we uh back in in 2021 and in 2022 for for most of the year, we employed a, a strategy to reduce the um, utilization of the vehicle and increase the revenue. So our focus went from volume to uh, revenue. And what that allowed reduce you reduce the utilization. That's something that is you know for a new manager. It's like wow. It <laughs> is. Yeah, and it's it scares a lot of people to hear that. Um, when you when you talk about reducing utilization, uh, old rental car thinking is utilization equals revenue, revenue equals profit, but uh, the wrong utilization equals expense, uh, and it's not always a dollar amount that you see. There's soft costs um, that are involved as well. The wear and tear on your facility, the wear and tear on your employees, uh, all of that is uh is increased when you increase your utilization um and when you have to be able to justify it with the right amount of revenue you know i can rent a, a one-day rental all day long for for 25 a day but how much does it cost me to rent that one day rental you know so that we took a lot of factors into consideration by reducing the volume it allowed us to maximize the profit on the back end of the car when we sold it. And that's because we were selling low mileage, clean units uh, at the auction. And those stood out when they were going through the lines because other, other competitors, um, not just rental car, but other competitors in the dealerships, they're sending older model units, higher mileage, beat up cars, lower graded, and ours are standing out. And we're actually being bought by other by other rental car companies, believe it or not. So um, it allowed us re reducing the uh, reducing the utilization allowed us to maximize the profit on the sale of the vehicle um, and increased our our daily dollar average in the process. So we were able to reduce some some costs and it was it worked out really well. I mean, 2021 was it was the best year at least we ever had com compared to 2019. So we were able to just to throw some numbers out here in 2019 at our at our airport in Indianapolis. Uh, over 2019, we increased our rental days by 16 percent, but we increased our revenue by 102 percent. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> so so by by doing that, you know, by by employing that strategy, uh, it was it was a win all the way around for us. So. Uh, you know, and that's what I touched base on at uh, the the Carbonell show in 2022, was you know you have to be aware of the soft costs, because those are the ones that uh, that you don't see but really affect you. You know, your employees if you if you're abusing them, you're turning them over, right? 
Um, so you're going, you you get high turnover. Well, it costs you $18,000 or at least us $18,000 to hire, train and, and start a new employee. So that's, that's cost that you don't necessarily see on your bottom line, but you see it in reduced revenue um, and, and customer service satisfaction. You see it everywhere else. So, um, you know, it was, it was a win for us to be able to, to reduce those, those costs. And concretely, when you talk about pricing, mm -hmm. does it mean that eventually you will deny two-week rental to push more via prices, five-day rental, seven-day rental in that mm -hmm. kind of, uh, of that, that could be the, 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 the translation of this strategy into a pricing tactic specifically? Sure. Well, you know, we're not going to deny them but we're going to get the right price for them. Right. So, you know, for us, at least gone are the days of the, the $20 a day rate for a week long rental. Right. Um, that, that revenue and, and that model just doesn't make money. And in, in, it just, it doesn't any longer, especially with the increase in, and as we talked about earlier, the increase in the, the purchase price of the car, the uh, increase in your interest rates on these cars, uh, you know, you just can't afford to, to rent these cars out um, for, for low, low amounts. Um, as has been the case in rental cars, as long as I've been in it for 15 years, you know, the, the longer the rental, the lower the daily average. So we're trying to maximize our daily average. And by doing that, you, you have a reduction in your overall length of rental. Highway. And so... Um... You, you know, we, we, it means that eventually you do not deny the, the clientele, the demand, as you said, but eventually you are reorienting them mm -hmm. to competitors, right? Because if you have like, oh, 10, 15, 20% difference, and we know that most now customers are extremely price sensitive and they can be, a, they can switch from a dollar or two. That's crazy. I mean, so it means that you are okay with this. Yeah. Because you have also adapted your fleet, adapted your fleet to a lower level to increase the utilization and get the better revenue, mean more profitable revenue instead of fighting for battling for <laughs> high volume, high fleet, and uh, yeah. and then low low price. Yeah, and you know when you obviously the lower the, your price goes, the clientele that you bring in, uh, you know, changes. So by, by keeping your, your prices higher, um, you, are, you are bringing in the clientele, uh, you know, the business clientele. Uh, business clientele tend to treat your cars differently than retail customers do, right? Retail customers put a lot of miles on your car. They're, they're driving out of town. They brought their kids. They're, you know, they're, they're doing different types of wear and tear on your car than that business person who's coming in for a meeting for, for the three days that he's here. So by, by kind of waiting it out, you're reducing your, your back-end cost on how long it takes you to clean a vehicle, how long it takes you, how long your out-of-service cars are sitting to be repaired. You're reducing all of those, all of those things just by high, high, having a higher daily average um, because you're, you're reducing, uh, you know, I, you're reducing the, the amount of people who are, are picking up the vehicle. You're reducing your volume overall. Um, 
if I may, I, I would like to 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 add to an element. For me, a retail versus a corporate. Uh, if we are talking market segmentation, also distribution channel, is that it's difficult to identify because now you can have corporate behavior that comes via Expedia or via rental cars or you know these kind of guys, mm -hmm. as well as um, you can have a, a, a leisure that is not necessarily going through a specific uh, identified um, distribution channel. So. Mm -hmm. How do you make that split? Because if I come to you and I rent a car for five days, I have no corporate accounts. I have no particular corporate conditions. How do you identify me that I have a specific behavior just by length of rental? Uh, pick up, pick up day, pick up day is a is a factor, right? Um, at least in our in the two markets that we operate currently. Um, business travelers tend to pick up on uh, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Um, and each as their as their pickup day is later, you know, Sunday typically brings in the longer term um, business renter, the four day, five day renter. Monday's the three day, four day. Tuesday's the you know two day, three day. Uh, and Wednesday is that two day uh, corporate rental. You tend to know based off the length of rental. Um, and their pickup date, right? So, but, but then you have, if you have this fleet that is mostly used by corporates, and I agree with you, mm -hmm. um, 100, for example, 1,000, uh, never mind. And then if you do, if you deny or if you do not attract those leisure customers during two, three-day rental, therefore your idle um, ratio is increasing. So is yeah. it okay to have, I don't know, 40, 50% utilization during weekday, uh, uh, weekends, or do you do specific marketing action in order to attract highest willingness to pay of customer because they want, I don't know, good new cars, good, they are willing to pay and you do, you are fighting in order to attract them. What do you so, do in that case to do that? Yeah. So the, the strategy that we employed um, when it came to the leisure market, well, the leisure days of travel, um, we didn't compete for first place, right? So we were never the price leader. Um, we we found the competitor that we felt was um, going to uh, attract the same sort of clientele that we, we wanted to attract. Um, and we aligned ourselves just below them. So sometimes we were in, you know, we were the third place, uh, third, we were in third position of our market. Uh, sometimes we were second, sometimes we were fourth. Um, but we we aligned ourselves with the the brands that we felt brought in the type of the type of clientele that we were were needing. We, they were priced in the way we wanted to be priced. So we were never the most expensive, but we were never the cheapest. And so um, you know we employed that strategy on a Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. And what that did was allowed us to to be aggressive on the Sunday. And then by Wednesday, we're getting what we want for the for the rental. By Tuesday and Wednesday, we've waited. We and then by waiting, we've maximized our uh, maximized our DDA. Okay, so it means also that you you on on the on the on the booking pattern on the advanced booking. Yeah. Therefore, you will not fight for these early comers, the early bookers that eventually could be attracted by low price. I don't know what is your your booking window, but imagine let's say that for the before seven day, seven day before the arrival, even mm -hmm. eventually, you don't fight. 
and then seven days close to zero between the day before or one day or the same day. Therefore, you enter into the battle. When yeah. The price goes up. yeah. So right now, what we've done is we've um, we've implemented a price uh, for our for all future bookings on on the car classes that we are offering. We've implemented a price that we are that we are comfortable with, that we are happy to to take, um, and that we know is profitable. And regardless of where that puts us in our market, that's the price that we're sticking with for our future build. And what that's allowed us to do is, uh, you know, look at the market uh, within the, you know, the seven days in, right, zero to seven. We are able to look at the market and then decide um, how we want to behave. So, it, you know, if we do end up deciding, you know, that we want to be a little more aggressive, we can make that decision. But if we've gotten build and we're happy with the build, we sit tight and, and wait for the higher DDA to come in. Yeah, well, I'm so happy to hear this, Jared. <laughs> I'm so happy because we have markets on which it's the exact opposite. Mm -hmm. And Can you share with us how your fleet, the total uh, fleet available for short-term rental change from 2019 eventually to now? Yeah, uh, you know... <clears throat> When we, when in 2019, utilization was the name of the game, right? So you're, you're pushing down just to get the car on rent. Well, you, when you're, when you're pushing that way, you know, by Tuesday, Wednesday, your goal is to be 90% utilized. So one of the things that we talked about here was that we wanted to double peak. We wanted two peaks in the week where we sold out. We sold out on Wednesday. We sold out on Friday. That's, that's what we tried to accomplish in 2019. Now, uh, one of the things that we look at is we try to sell out on Wednesday or get as close as we can for the price that we want. And then we maintain the price that we want through the weekend. If that results in a sellout, great. If it doesn't result in a sellout, what it does is it allows us to have clean, rentable vehicles ready to go for the start of the following week um, when we know we're going to peak again. Highway. That's an impressive shift, huh? In terms of uh, of mindset, it and, really is. Uh, you know, I have many clients around the world. It's not so open that I'm hearing this, so I'm super happy for the Revenue Machine Podcast. That uh, hopefully your your words will be <laughs> listened and 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 uh, put into practice. Yeah, that's unbelievable. That um, and and uh, do you think? Even though you are more uh, a corporate area, I would say I'm not really no Indianapolis area, but uh, except for the the big uh, Grand Prix uh, uh, periods and stuff like mm -hmm. that. But do you think this approach could fit into a more leisure destinations like Florida, California? I don't know, you know, this kind of uh, uh, South Carolina. How do you um, see this tactic to be implemented in other leisure areas? Yeah, I, I, I believe it. You know, one of the things that we talked about in 2022 as well is uh, making sure you have an open conversation with your fleet department, right? So um, if you overfleet, you got to rent them because the cars are costing you money. Um, but if you fleet correctly or even underfleet a little bit, you can drive up your your rental costs because you're, you're requiring fewer rentals to make the same amount of money. So, yeah, I, I believe that, you know, in leisure markets, 
instead of instead of the race to the bottom uh, to get the people in, you value your cars, rent the cars for what they are worth. Um, and, and by doing that, you you don't overfleet. You don't take every car that you can get your hands on. You you take the right. You get the right mix. You use the cars that you that you bring in um, for the right price. Don't overfleet. Slightly underfleet if you can. That's that's what we've done. You know, uh, for the last couple of years, we we were underfleeted, and it just completely changed our mindset on revenue management because we had to employ a different tactic to to make money. Um, it is a tough thing to do because it is, if you've been in a rental car for any, any period of time, utilization is the name of the game. It's, yeah. it's so, um, now we can enter in a super important part, which is, uh, uh which is the mindset of the organization. Yes. Because how did how did how this shift arrived in Tom Wood Automotive? So the shift arrived when you know my my the team and I we sat down and we started looking at ways to to obviously um, make money because in 2020 there was no money to be made, <laughs> right? Um, I, I think in the month of April we did 32 total rentals. Um, but we found that if we had just, if we were just patient, especially in May, if we were just patient, we were getting a higher daily average for our cars. If we were just patient, um, instead of, instead of flipping the switch and making them cheapest, uh, we were just patient a little bit longer. And then when we did decide to play, the rate was higher. And so we tested that again in June and it, and it was the same result by July, we had made the decision that we were going to stop the focus so much on future bookings and really focus on increasing our daily dollar average. Uh, and that's kind of what, what walked us towards this change in, in mindset is when it started to work. You know, when it, when we started to see these, these incredible rates uh, in July of 2020 that we'd never seen before. I mean, in the Indianapolis market, you, I've like 15 years of doing it in the same market. I've never seen an economy car go for $200 a day. Right. And we were doing it routinely 200, $225 a day for our price leader. And by doing that, we were able to understand that this, because we got three days of this, of this, you know, uh, economy car, $200 a day, it released, it relieved some of the, the stress of, having to push out more cars because if I, you know, you're renting a minivan every time you rent is, is kind of what we equated it to, right? You pick up a minivan in a peak period is $200 a day. But if I can rent an economy car for a minivan price on a Monday, be patient, rent your economy car for the minivan price because you, it allows you to rent less and make either the same and or more money and save on the sauce and even on your fleet costs. But how your how your boss cope with, with this? Because I mean, what I'm hearing with many yeah. clients, he said, "Oh, but you know, if we do that, and finally the demand does not come, uh, we will lose everything." So it seems that what I understand is you really analyze the data and also 
um, build some scenarios and try it, put it into practice and then measure, eventually adjust. This is the process you followed or the, how, how, how the, the top management said, said, okay, you have a green light, go ahead and try. Sure. So, um, you know, one of the things that we, we did is instead of looking at utilization, we looked at revenue per unit each month, right? So if, you know, we knew if our, you know, just for example, if our break-even cost uh, for the operation was $1,150 per unit, I don't care how I got there, right? I, I don't care if it's, if it's a three-day rental at $200 a day or a one-week rental for 600 bucks, right? I don't care how I get to the 1200 amount of dollars per month, right? The only cost that goes up with revenue going up is your expense for reservations, right? Your reservation costs. Um, and obviously the more reservations you have, the more costs you pay. So, you know, some of them are, are based off of revenue. Some of them are based off, uh, you know, taking in the reservation for you. So you're able to, to minimize other costs, but if you know your round cost is 1200 a month, who cares how you get there? You just got to get to 1200. So we started looking at revenue per unit and we knew that if we could exceed you know, revenue, our, our costs and revenue per unit, we were making money on the sale of the car, right? So we were profitable there. And so we just needed to make 1200 or more per unit to be profitable in the rental division. Well, previously, you know, everybody thought about utilization and utilization drove revenue, revenue equals revenue per unit, but you got to be smart about how you get that revenue. And so we, we found that being able to reduce our volume, we were able to increase our daily dollar average and get to our revenue per unit goal to be profitable. And I think that's that's what we we um, prioritized was profit over market share over you know over volume over utilization. We prioritized profit. At at we yield, you know, on the on the on the piloting um, tool and app we have, we have this uh, utilization displayed drone because we like graphs as well as the rpd combined and so for us what is the most important indicator is what we call we created a, an index called the ref car revenue per available car similar to the revenue per uh, available room in the hotel or the revenue per seat mile offer that you find in the airline that is the core um, uh, uh, indicator to look at and to 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 uh, to optimize to maximize as you said, mostly in the car rental, because of fear, we still believe that the the bigger the fleet will be, the better it, the the higher the revenue will be to cover my cost. And it's I'm hearing it so often that it's a really refreshing moment, Jared. Mm -hmm. And thank you for that. Honestly, thank you for sharing this. Hopefully, more people will pay attention to that and 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 will try new things. Um, did you also simultaneously invest in your marketing in order to, you said earlier via the distribution channel to position yourself, not on the cheapest, not at the most expensive, but to tackle those guys that can give you, or on, on which you can steal away some uh, high contribution clientele. Is it also, because you were talking about the cost of the distribution, do you or did you also invest simultaneously on your direct marketing 
in order to keep this database and eventually bring more direct customer instead sure. of going through Expedia, OTAs, brokers, et cetera? Um, well, the franchise partner that we have uh, handles all the advertising for us. So, so we six, pay, huh? it's sixth. Yeah, sixth, yeah. Okay. So we pay a percentage of our revenue to advertising. And so um, they, they manage all of that. Um, on a local level, what we've been able to do um, to kind of kind of fill our bucket up uh, with it, on days that maybe we don't we don't get the volume that we wanted um, is we go to or we have we have a couple competitors uh, in our line that we work very closely with who tend to oversell and they send us customers who match what we're looking for. Um, so we've we've been able to create a partnership at, at our local level with some of our competitors to handle their overflow um, to make up for any kind of um, reduced uh, reduced volume that we may have seen that week. And we do it by by matching their rate. I, I don't need to gouge the people who we have a good working relationship with. We match their rates. They send us they send us customers who have pricing similar to what we're looking for already. Uh, so it's a good working relationship. That's that's really what we've done at a local level is partner with, or well, have a good relationship with some of our competitors who we know are, who have, who we know have similar um, policies, who have similar um, pricing. And so when they overbook, they send them to us and, and we continue maintaining that good working relationship at a local level. Okay. Um, that's extremely interesting. And um, that's good that you have enough track records now. And um, mm. it's not like something you have in your head. You put this into practice over the last three years. Uh, We're in 23 summer is starting now. I started mm -hmm. yesterday. Uh, so that's something that, that becomes the core of your pricing optimization tactic, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, when we talk about, obviously, strategies change based off of uh, the type of fleet that you have and or can acquire. We've talked about requiring, uh, you know, acquiring the right fleet. Um, some people are just acquiring fleet because it's available. You know, some companies are just acquiring fleet because it's available. And that's fine. That's fine. If that's how you have to get fleet, that's fine. Just you have to put a plan in place to utilize the fleet as they come in, you know. So for us, what we did, uh, we've we've acquired some um, EV fleet, some electric vehicles, um, and I and electric vehicles. A rental car right now is the boogeyman. I think I was talking to you about that this year in uh, at the car rental show. It's the boogeyman. Everybody's afraid of it because you know they're they're they compare them all to Teslas, right? Teslas are expensive. You know it's hard to rent them, but there are affordable electric vehicles out there, uh, especially uh, the GM product. GM's got some pretty good Chevy Bolt product. That comes in and it's affordable for car. So instead of making our gas-powered vehicles price leaders, we made our electric vehicles price leaders. Well, what does that do? So it brings people in the door. It gives you a price leader. It brings people in the door. Then you can provide them with a positive experience with the electric vehicle, or they can upgrade into a gas-powered vehicle that they're more comfortable with. Right. So you're driving up your ability to increase your incre incremental revenue sales. Um, but you're also introducing electric vehicles positively to your market. Okay, so you get you get your people who come in 
who, you know, one or two day rentals, they're puttering around town, uh, you know, business people flying in. We are able to provide them with a positive experience on an electric vehicle um, without the range anxiety that everybody's worried about, without the uh, the bells and whistles. It drives like a car, regular car, opens doors open like a regular car, turns on like a regular car, you know. So we're able to provide them with a with a positive experience with EVs. Um, and we're also able to utilize them as a price leader to increase our daily dollar average on our gas powered vehicles. Um, and in doing so, we're also in, in increasing our incremental revenue sales at the counter. So if you if you buy it, you know, if you're just buying cars, you've got to buy these cars with a plan in mind. You've got to buy them with a strategy. So that's why it's important to to speak with your fleet team and your revenue management team to, to make sure you're on the same page when you're when you're buying fleet. That's again something that seems to be so obvious, but I don't find it in many clients that we meet. And I have only few clients that are have this weekly meeting or bi-weekly meeting with the fleet manager in order to share demand forecast, fleet constraints, deliveries, blah, blah, how we are able to modify in terms of infleeting, defleeting, what can be the conditions, blah, blah. And when you put this ingredients into a cocktail, you find something extremely good because both mm -hmm. parties, internal both parties, can adjust in order to maximize the profit. And it's not like, oh, guys, I bought 200 uh, Fords and uh, that's the deal of the, because I got a fantastic deal, you know, I had to, yeah, we don't care. I don't need these cars. Yes, but I got a good deal. Oh, what's up? And, and so what? Right. You know? Yep, and, and that forces so often, so yeah. often, and that forces and that forces companies to to worry about utilization, and when they worry about utilization, they run. It's a race to the bottom to to get as many vehicle people in your vehicles as you can, uh, and then and then you're you're renting cars for for less than what it costs you to clean it, you know. So that's that's you know what I like about Tom Wood, what I love about Tom Wood. Um, is the fact that we're always we're always learning, right? We're always trying to be better, um, and so we have a weekly meeting um, with our with our management team, and we discuss strategies and what's uh, what's available, and you know what are we we discuss our short term vision, our long term vision, um, and it, it's a big big help from the from the Tomwood management team, the Tomwood Automotive Group executive team for uh, for requiring that of us because it really allows us to sit down and, and prioritize what what we want to do. Um, it gets us discussing our issues weekly. It, it gets us uh, putting plans in place and it allows us to discuss our future. So it's been it's been great. That's one of the, that's that's a that's a sticking point with Tom Wood is that we, we have a clear vision of what we want. Does it mean that uh, the management team share the goals on the long term with, with you in the, at the management? And so also you have a better vision of the future so that you can translate it within the tactic on which you are, for which you are in charge? Sure. So that it, it's, it's always like a back and, uh, back and forth with some, hey, we have a, eventually some problem here. Mm -hmm. Okay, good. We have to adjust the, the goal, and uh, otherwise you you understand better the goal, so that mm. you are better in applying the uh, setting the the tactic. 
Yeah, well, there's there's not a lot of, of give and take. Um, Tom Wood believes in putting the right people in the right seats and letting us and letting us drive the bus. Right. So we we perform and we have weekly meetings and we discuss uh, we discuss things and, and they evaluate the meetings. And um, if they have questions, they they ask us. Uh, but they they really trust us to do what we do what we do. We're, we're rental car experts, I would say at this point. Uh, I think between our management team, there's 50 or 60 years of experience between the four of us. So, um, you know, if if one of us haven't seen it, it's it's a new thing. So we we've we've been around the block, and, and they really trust us to to guide this ship in the right direction. Anyway. For me, this word is so important that you just said trust. Mm -hmm. Trust in the people. Um, huh. And you made a fantastic transition to the to the last point I wanted to discuss with you is the uh, is the organization under the revenue management perspective. Um, can you describe um, what kind of organization you put in place eventually with you or with your team members. Um, do you give a, a name to this weekly meeting? Does he have the kind of gimmick or a fun name, Suse? So there, the, our meetings are called level 10 meetings. So level 10 meetings? Level 10 meetings, yeah. So it's, Why that? Um, I, I, I assume they're called level 10 meetings to... Uh, <sighs> make them feel more important it's it's only the it's only the decision makers in the team or uh, with the team that are in these meetings right so we don't bring our we don't bring all of our management team only the decision makers uh in our organization uh come to the meeting so there are only four of us in the meeting weekly and then we go back to our our teams and implement whatever strategy uh or or policies that we've come up with so we've we've really focused the meeting only on the decision makers because it, it cuts out a lot of the the riffraff if that makes sense right there's no good yeah what are the, those people what are those four people so it's you as operation and revenue yeah myself yes. is the yeah myself representing operations and, and revenue okay. um we have our office manager so our accounting department is in there um our fleet manager who who obviously is fleet <laughs> uh, fleet and acquisition. And then um, in our organization, he's called our general manager. His name is Phil Spink. He's uh, he's in our meetings as well. He's he's kind of the president of our of our rental car division. So, um, you know, we we all we all meet and then we turn around and go out and implement our policy. So it's just the four of us in, in our meeting. Uh, I like I like this organization because for me, fleet is extremely early into the process because when you yeah. deal you know, with dealers, it's not like uh, manufacturers, you, it's not like for tomorrow. So you have to anticipate six months, eight months sometime. So you yeah. are really, really on early stage with the fleet manager. Mm -hmm. Then revenue manager, you, you anticipate the, the closer future, a couple of months ahead. Yeah. Then operations because it's your same, the second hat. Mm -hmm. That's the day to day. Yep. And then you have the CFO who is managing when the transaction has been uh, completed yep. in order yep. to collect money and verify that it's a good uh, money, blah, blah. So all the range 
the time range is covered every week. Every week. That's unbelievable. I mean, that's so unique and, and well-organized. So then it's not like somebody has more power than another. It's like right. you combine these three intelligence with a referee or the super decision maker with Phil, the GM, the, mm -hmm. that can sometimes say, okay, no, we go in that direction, I, I, I'm thinking, or we go on the other one. Yep. Um, but every week, those three persons sit together to discuss. Yep, every week. And so it, it's great because we've been provided a software that through the week, anytime we have uh, something we want to discuss in the meeting, we add it to the software. So we're not having to remember, we're not having to remember what issue popped up on, on Monday uh, or Thursday when our meetings are on a Wednesday. So um, yeah, we utilize the software um, and you know, it's very, the meeting, the meetings are very strict. They start on time, they end on time. There's no going over. You get specific timeframes to speak about each issue um, and come up with a solution. So it's, 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 you know, really eliminated any distractions uh, it's eliminated tangents. We, we you can't go on a tangent and get off topic. Uh, so yeah, they're, they're high level meetings where decisions are made, policies are put into place and our business is running more efficiently because of it. What is the software you use to help you? Yeah. So we, we, um, the company that we've employed is called EOS. I don't know if you can see the book here or not. EOS. So all right. Yep, the EOS software. Um, it, the I, I believe the website is called Bloom that we use to organize our meetings. So um, it is, uh, it's a great, it's been a great um, system to put in place so far. It's called, so it's EOS, it's called the Entrepreneurial Operating System. That's, that's the, the stuff we're using right now. And it's great. And it's. So EOS is more the process, the way to handle. And then you use Bloom as a day-to-day a platform to set your meetings, agenda, tasks, uh, to follow it yeah. up, et cetera. Exactly. Yeah. Bloom manages the meeting. We, 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 uh, we start and stop based off the, the Bloom website and we are able throughout the week to add things to our, to our list to discuss. So it's, it's a great tool. Okay. I will put the link into the, for the audience, I will put all these links into the, the notes. The, this podcast so then you will be able to uh, to uh, uh, dig into into it um so for me that was the first point of this uh, long-term success criteria and we said street organization you are a good example that yes you need and you implemented a strict organization mm -hmm. right what yep. is and, and then we we when we we prepared this last year conference we were highlighting the fact that we need to elevate the level of training of the people and their analytical skills. How did you manage it on your side? Did you follow some specific, I don't know, training masterclass, uh, long-term training, I don't know? How, how did you improve your, your knowledge and your technicity? I don't know if we said that, sorry for my bad English. How, how do you improve these skills over time for you personally, Jared, in the revenue sure. management? So, um, you know, for me personally, I got into it very young. I started doing revenue, uh, revenue management. I think I was 25, 24 uh, years old when I started uh, wearing the, the revenue management hat uh, along with my operations hat. So how old are you uh, now? 
I am 35 now. Well, okay, cool. I'll be 35 okay, okay, okay. Next month, I'm not 35. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, so I've I've done it for about a decade now. Um, so with that comes, you, you know, it just you get a feel for your market. You you, you tend to understand uh, what your what your goals are. Um, and another thing that we when we get into the airport markets, first thing we do is we look at market share, right? Because you can tell by the players what sort of market you're going into, whether it's whether it's more corporate or whether it's more leisure. So you can tell by looking at the market share. So that's that's one of the things that we look at before we decide how how we're going to strat- uh, build a strategy for that specific market. Um, so it's, it's, there's a lot of things that we look at. There's no book that I've read that talked to me about it. Um, I, the international car rental show has been a wealth of knowledge. Um, I've, I've attended, I think the last five years. So I've been able to, to go and listen to experts like yourself and like, uh, like Mike Meyer, um, and, and talk with other people in the, in the revenue management field, uh, uh, people who are doing it for other companies and, you know, just gathering knowledge peer to peer. And, and through these and through these uh, car rental shows, so uh, that's really how I've how I've done it. Um, but you know, those are guidance. We put our plans together based off of what we are seeing at the local level. Um, and so that's yeah. As we get bigger, I'll have to come up with a different way to to implement the policy and and get the team on board. Uh, but right now, for what we're doing, uh, this these weekly meetings, it's it's been. A godsend. We we sit down and we talk about what we want to accomplish, what our goals are, and then we build the strategy to get there. But who is? Uh, do you have any any um, revenue assistant or somebody that is handling? Because if you are managing the operation in addition to revenue, that's a big uh, big task, <laughs> big yeah. responsibility. Are you assisted with some guys that can also do this analytics, prepare you the some elements? Um, no. So unfortunately, right now it is just myself. Um, doing it, but we do have, um, you know, I get automated reports daily uh, for what our, what our competitors are doing, uh, whether it's in you mean the, of price, mm-hmm, in terms of pricing. Yep. Okay. Um, and then the management teams from the airports, the locations that I'm not physically at, uh, we discuss daily uh, about, you know, what they're seeing on the ground. Are these lots full? Are they empty? Are they partially full? Um, what do the lines look like? Because obviously I can't see their reservation bill, these other companies, but you can tell a lot about the business that they're doing, the volume that they're doing based off of their parking lot. If it's full or empty based off the people standing in line or is do they have a long line? Do they have a short line? Um, they talk to their, their peers uh, with other competitors uh, because they all have a lot to say. <laughs> so they will, uh, they will discuss. So I rely on the teams on the ground to tell me what they're seeing and we will, we will build that into our, into our strategy as well for, for the close in strategy, far out strategy is all done by, by our, our level 10 um, team. And, uh, and that, and we, and, you know, we adjust that accordingly, but for the most part, our long-term strategy is set. It's the, it's the close in strategy where we rely on the teams on the ground to talk to us about what they're seeing, what they're hearing, what they feel. Uh, to give them a better understanding of why we're doing what we're doing. Oh yeah. So is it a kind of level five meeting? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we can call it. You call it this this daily daily uh, meeting with your operational team. Yeah, we did. Did you give it a name? 
we can call it a level one meeting because it's very brief. It's it's very uh, very uh, impromptu, very brief. They just give me the information that I need, and then we go on from there. So, um, you know, for but me, they don't, use, they don't use Bloom. They don't use Bloom. No, just right now, it's just the Bloom is is for the high level team. Um, now we are working. We are looking at it to see if we can implement it with the with our with our lesser meetings. But right now. Um, I, there's very little that I want to hear from them, uh, right now, which is, uh, strictly, uh, from my revenue side, I just need to hear about what they're seeing on the ground in terms of volume. Uh, so there's not a lot to talk about, uh, regarding that operationally, there's some things to talk about, but, uh, when it comes to revenue management, I just want to hear how they feel about what's going on around them. Uh, it, that's how, that's how I really kind of developed my ability to, to do this job. Um, is by feel, by seeing and, and, and monitoring and watching people, watching what these companies are doing and how they're behaving. Uh, I will ask a, uh, a difficult question. All right. Okay. Mm -hmm. The problem, uh, the thing, because I'm, I'm a guy with having so many clients that I have this, this perspective also, yep. is what happens if suddenly you have any problem with your hands for example you have a problem um, on the yeah. weekend and uh, you can use your hands or or mm -hmm. um, you know the, the the way i see it sometimes is when we rely a lot of one guy mm -hmm. for the company because i'm a ceo of a company so i need also to make sure that the company will continue and i include myself into right. this how how the business will continue to grow mm -hmm. without me so therefore in terms of processes in terms of tools did you implement or did you ask this question to yourself? And also, do you have some specific processes to make sure that if you don't have any assistant, everything, all decisions are on you, in fact, right? Yeah, yeah, they are. Um, well, what's great about our level 10 team is that they all have the ability to do my job. So if I were to lose my hands today, they could take over for me. My level 10 team could. Um, they don't because they're very busy, obviously. Uh, with their own with their own uh, departments, but yeah. yeah, in the in the event that I I was incapacitated for any reason, they would be able to step right in um, and be able to be able to take over my position without uh, without missing anything. And for you, it was if we balance your operation duties and your revenue management mm -hmm. um, um, uh, tasks. Yep. Throughout the week, how would you weight those two? Are you 50-50? Are you like mostly 90% revenue and 10% operation because you have operation manager? How do you Sure. So I would it? say I'm probably 60% revenue, 40% operations. Um, and I'm able to get away with that, at least on the operation side, because I have a great team. Um, so my frontline team, uh, one of the things we do with them is is give them the ability to in the freedom to make decisions right to run their run their position and um I, i'm certainly not a micromanager uh that's that is probably i probably could be a little more of one but i'm not um because i want them to be able to to grow and learn more about the business understand why they're making decisions and the impact of those decisions so i've got a great team in place uh that can run a shift they could be, I, I could be gone today and on a vacation and they would be just fine. Um, so my what kind of decision do you, do you give them? 
so that normally, because you have such a long experience in operation, you know that for Tomwood Automotive, that's a big difference versus the others, mm -hmm. the other way of doing. Sure. Do you have any one or two examples saying, okay, that type of responsibility and the, the, the capacity, the possibility to take a decision, this mm -hmm. is unique for this topic and this topic at Tomwood Automotive, which is not the case everywhere else. Yeah, so uh, they they have the ability to manage their day. Uh, so they monitor their reservations, uh, bring up the, you know, they have our team in the back, our support cleaning team, uh, clean the vehicles that they need. They can move vehicles from any dealership that they need over to our main office. So they have the ability to, to decide on fleet movement. They have the ability to decide on uh, what vehicles go to which reservation. Uh, and then, you know, when it comes to uh, our dealership side, they have the ability to, to pick and choose what vehicles are used for these dealership replacement rentals based on what we need for our retail side. So they have the ability to, to run a shift and make these decisions, uh, fleet decisions and customer service decisions uh, without the need of, of somebody like myself standing over them and telling them, you know, every move to make. And that's unique versus competition, or at least what you have seen in your previous life. In in my experience, yeah, it's it's unique. You know, um, the, some of the some of the major competitors, uh, some of the big four, have specific managers for specific areas uh, on every single shift, right? So oh, my my goal is to develop and train leaders. Okay, and leaders. Uh, leaders aren't bosses. Leaders aren't people telling others and, and demanding others what to do. They're the ones going out there and showing them what to do so that they can be leaders at some point and teach others what to do um, and how to do it without having to micromanage their, their every move. And I do believe that with the competitors, the, the large competitors, you do lose a little bit of that. Um, and, you know, if we, I'm teaching them to be entrepreneurs as well. Uh, we manage everything from from the daily fleet to our monthly expenses and our you know uh, profit and loss statements. So any person who wants to learn about how our business is run, all they have to do is ask. They have to show an interest, and we'll and we'll show them everything. Um, it's not about job title where you're just doing this position. If you want to learn anything, we'll teach you. Um, so that's why I think that we're unique as um, as a franchise and as an independent because we do provide that ability for people to learn more than just how to rent a car or how to, how to move this car from this, you know, from this place to this place, or, uh, you know, how to upgrade a vehicle. We want them to be well-versed because even with it's, if, if it's with us or one of our uh, partners in the Tomwood automotive group or a large group, you know, we want to, we want them to be able to, to move on and, and be successful within this time with automotive group and whatever they decide to do. So we, we try to teach them everything about the business as opposed to just, you know, giving them one discipline and, and be, being strict on that. And for yourself, mm -hmm. uh, how do you learn something? How do you learn you? You said that you attend the ICRS uh, conference every year. Yep. Um, do you, how did you learn this revenue management? Is it mostly by experience or also out of the ICRS uh, conference, you also, I don't know, uh, read, follow some some courses or look at what is done in other industries like hotel, 
airline, train, I don't know, these kind of cruise lines? Yeah. So, you know, initially when I first got into it, trial and error was how I learned, you know. Um, the first company I did revenue management for was very pro uh, race to the bottom. You've got to be the cheapest no matter what the cost. Um, so, you know, you learn you learn right away um, how, how legacy rental car goes, right? Um, as I moved up and took over my own location and became, you know, the revenue manager of my own location, I was able to, you know, play around with, with things that I wanted to do. Um, I didn't like these, you know, single digit daily rates. So I stayed away from them. Um, but I had to be profitable. So that's kind of where I, I learned how to do it was just trial and error. Um, now, now it's, it's experience, you know, you, you kind of know based off what your competitors are doing at a certain time, if they're going to sell out or not, or, um, if that week's going to be a sellout, you know, just based off their behavior. Um, you can, obviously, if you know what's going on in town, that also helps you prepare for that. Um, but yeah, yeah, for me, it's, it, it was trial and error to start. Uh, now what I'm doing is I'm, I'm, I'm trying to learn how to influence others, um, to, and lead others, uh, to be, uh, to be their own thinker and, and, and learn market research and, and be independent. Uh, for me, you know, when I, when I looked at other things earlier, just to step back based on our strategy, talking about getting the right price. One of the things that we, you know, we talk about a lot with this was, you know, you, there are certain hotel chains that don't compete with others, right? So your motel six, isn't competing with, with your Hilton. So we kind of put that we, you know, we thought about that when you brought up, have we studied other markets? We, we have, we've looked at how other companies in different markets behave or in different industries behave um, and asked, why not us? Why can't we, why can't we do that? And so that's, that's one of the things that we, that we do. We, we look at everything going on in, in different industries and try to learn from it. If, if tomorrow you would, um, you have the opportunity to take a new role in the Tom Wood Automotive, in the big group, as you said. Mm -hmm. What would be the, the the top skills you would look at um, the guy you are going to recruit? Yeah, so if I'm looking, if I want somebody to take over for me, um, I'm looking for somebody with, with good time management skills. That's first and foremost, right? You got to maximize. Sorry, what, what did you, uh, time management, you said? Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, time, time management. Yeah, time management. Uh, you have to maximize uh, the time that you have available, right? So, uh, so that's important. Getting to be able to get in your jobs done. Uh, the next thing I would look for is is a hunger and a desire to do better every day than the day before, right? So, my I strive to be better today than I was yesterday. And so if I'm looking for somebody uh, to replace me, that's that's what I'm looking for, right? Somebody who is who is just as hungry uh, uh, today with a little bit of success as he was when he had no success. Um, I'm looking for a person who can lead others, right? Lead others, because at, a good boss makes makes work fun. A, a good leader makes people want to come here and makes people want to work for you. Um, a bad, a bad boss runs people away and then you end up doing it all by yourself. So, you know, I, I'm looking for a person who can lead others uh, and who can 
and who's willing to suffer with the others if they need to, you know, who's willing to do whatever job is necessary uh, to ensure that your operation runs well, or, you know, you're spending long hours uh, monitoring revenue and rates and what your competitors are doing and talking with, uh, with your staff everywhere else to ensure that you are um, ready to go for, uh, for anything that can happen. So those are probably the, the, the three main things I would look for. People will get time management skills, um, people who are hungry, and uh, a good leader. You, you, do, you do not mention the data part and the analytical skills, mm -hmm. which is pretty strange for me because what you have been, when we listen to your story and what you have done after 2020, 2021, really digging into analytics mm -hmm. and see how we can turn we can generate more profit in a better way mm -hmm. still for you that will fit either at the level four of your checklist or um, it, it's something that you can learn. Why, why don't you sure. mention this part? Because it seems to be really analytical guy as well, spending a lot of time in data. Yeah. Yeah. You know, for me, I, my, the strategies were put together by the team. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't my strategy. It was, it was our team strategy. We sat down and we discussed what we wanted to do. Um, and I think that if you find the person who's hungry to be better today than he was yesterday, they're going to be open-minded and they're going to want to listen to what your, what your team has to say. And, and there'll be, they'll be more willing to, uh, to try out different things. So this isn't a me, this isn't a me position. This is a, a team, a team strategy, a team position. So Um, yeah, you know, somebody can look at the, the data, that'd be nice. Um, but if you can sit down and, and talk with your team and develop a plan and employ the plan, um, then I think that that's what I'm looking for more than anything. That's, that's what I would be looking for. Um, and I think that a person who's hungry, who, who's got that drive, they're, they're the type of person who's willing to, to do that, willing to listen, willing to do what they need to do, learn what they need to do um, in order to succeed. I totally agree with you. You know that that for me, one of the key elements is to feel this little uh, point in the stomach. <laughs> say, okay, did I take the right decision? And I will wait until tomorrow, next week, next month, in order to see if my tactic, the tactic that has been decided at the level 10 mm -hmm. meeting, is able to generate the profit and the the, the, the result we were expecting. Yeah. Um, a little bit like, you know, what we find in the in the stock exchange, for sure, those guys, they are playing with money and a huge amount of money, so they have their super high level of stress. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, that's a little bit, sometimes we take some bets. We, we, we bet on something. We say, okay, mm -hmm. yes, it should work. I have this feeling. I have this feedback. I have this data. So let's try. And if you don't feel this stomach point, I don't know you call it in English, you know, mm -hmm. to say, oh, yeah, I take a little bit of risk. Let's see. Let's try. Let's learn. Because we never fail, we we learn every time. In fact, right. exactly. So um, I uh, that's I really like like this. And remember when I was working at Disney in Paris when I was optimizing the resort during high season, I had to leave like at 10, 11 p.m. every night to make sure that the resort was full, but not full like 99, 98. No, no, we want to feel. There was 7,000 rooms at that time. We want them filled up every night. And therefore, it means that we have to displace and to where well, to move 5, 10 families every night. Mm -hmm. That's the management of the overbooking. Otherwise, if you finish the day at 
with all the people that has booked, you will never <laughs> feel because some have no shows, some will cancel, so will never. I mean, you you will never feel. That's impossible. Mm -hmm. So it's not nice in the Disney world and Mickey and stuff like that. But yeah, we have to fill this bloody resort every night. Mm -hmm. yeah, um, I agree with you. What um, now? We are close to to the end. We have been talking a, a, a lot. Um, this this business is changing a lot. And what what do you think about the? The development of the peer to peer, or what do how do you see the development of Turo? Also, maybe not in the US, I don't know, but we have mostly in Europe now we have some um, carbon exclusion zones in the cities on which you are not able to drive. You have it in London, in Roma, in Paris, in mm -hmm. few, few streets, but it's getting bigger. So you have also to manage those low. Um, Low car, low emission cars, eventually zero emissions with electric cars. Mm -hmm. Do you feel any change on this in the US in terms of behavior, more peer to peers, less current old guys like you? Or how do you see it in, for the future? Sure. I, I, you know, I know that uh, on the West Coast, they're doing some of, uh, some of that no emission stuff. Um, it's a little further down the line. I don't think anything's been implemented just yet. But I think that I, I would say that's why you, I believe that they're pushing more electric vehicles. Uh, these manufacturers are are uh, pushing more electric vehicles. Um, with the peer-to-peer, -peer, you know, I, I think that uh, the peer-to-peer, -peer, what we've noticed here in Indianapolis, at least, because they're operating out out of the airport now, is that they're taking uh, they're taking clientele who are strictly looking for the the most uh, price of you know the the price leading vehicle that's those that's what they're taking so if you're if you are if your market is low leisure right low price leisure then you're going to be affected by by peer-to-peer -peer. but if you're if your market isn't low leisure um you might you might be affected on on your weekend build um, but right now uh, you know, we have been able to increase our market share with the introduction of, of Turo at the Indianapolis airport, which tells me that they're pulling from low leisure priced uh, market that we aren't competing in. So it, it hasn't affected us directly because uh, our market share is increasing. Um, so our market share is increasing. Uh, and so I, I would say that, you know, if you if you're on, especially on the 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 uh, tourist areas, the, the people who are traveling and, and you're a vacation destination. If your pricing model is a race to the bottom, Turo is, go Turo is going to be a, a key player. Uh, so that would, that's how I would, that's how I've seen it so far play out, at least in a market that they're, they've got a revenue share of the airport. Okay. So you still pay attention to them. You don't see such a, sh a shift yet, but that it's more on the leisure side that could uh, mm -hmm. could affect the business in the future. Yeah. Um, thank you very much, Jared, for for your time. I really appreciate. I know it's early. Um, it's in the morning now in Indianapolis. Mm -hmm. So I really appreciate your your time, your exchange. You have been really transparent. I mean, it's not that that easy, you know. But you really share experiences, mm -hmm. results, the way you do, and and that's for me excellent because. 
as I said at the beginning, I really want my 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 objective is like this knowledge is shared because when when we get new intelligence, you keep your intelligence and I get better. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like sharing a pizza when we will have 50-50. Right. <laughs> oh, yeah. You still keep your intelligence and I'm getting mm-hmm. better. So if we can spread out this, that for the entire industry and the revenue managers, that will be fantastic. So thank you for this time you have given to uh, the Revenue Machine podcast, Jared. Yeah, I appreciate you having me. Uh, it, it was fun to talk. I, I love talking about rental car and, and revenue management. So um, I appreciate the invite and, and yeah, I was happy to be here. Have a good day. Thanks a lot. Yeah, see you. Be safe. You reached the end of the Revenue Machine podcast. I hope you enjoyed this moment of sharing ideas and tips. Give us a five star if you liked it. That's the only way to be seen in the Magma of podcast. You can also forward this podcast to two other people you love. Wheel Team is available to help car rental operators who are frustrated by the data they have and the data they would like to have but also the one who wants to be guided along their revenue transformation process. Contact us. Bye-bye.